Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, we're going to be back in James today. It has been a while since we've been in James. We had a communion Sunday on Easter, and Trevor preached, and I originally had this as part of another section in James, but I got to studying it, and I ended up making an entire sermon over just one verse. Uh, It kind of hit me pretty square about what James is dealing with here. If you will get a copy of the scriptures ready and get to James chapter 5, that is where we will be today. Uh, For those of you that pitched in and cleaned up around here, it looks good. I think it looks good. Uh, The little pile of ashes out there that you see as you walk in, I left that for you as a memorial to all the leaves that Peggy drug out of the landscaping. And um, I thought, is the brush pile still there? Yeah. Yeah, well, I threw something in it and tried to catch it on fire and thought it would, but it didn't. It's still there to remind us. Uh, Well, James chapter 12. Something to get your brains going today, I thought. A few questions. Um... Something I always like to uh, uh, ask is a few questions. What's the difference between a lie and a white lie? Yeah, okay. There's nothing, right? Except for apparently our perception of it. Like one is okay and one's not okay. A a why and and a little white lie. One doesn't really hurt people and one is meant to hurt people. And um, something else I think is a question that we're going to probably get to today is um, is it necessary as a Christian that you say the words, I promise, when you tell someone you're going to do something? I think that question is going to be actually addressed today. And I think in this section in James 5, verse 12, we are going to look at dishonesty is really what I think James is getting at. So a question for you, and you can go ahead and give me some feedback here, is what jobs do you associate with somebody who is dishonest? Like you think immediately that person is a liar just because of the job they have. A lawyer? Anybody else? Politician? What else you got? News anchor. Yes, media, news anchors, anything else? I, I, I had car salesmen, uh, car salesmen, anybody that you buy a car off of Craigslist, anybody on Craigslist <laughs> that's selling something, they're lying to you. Um, I, I think it is sad that we have professions that actually pop into our head when it's like that. It is. And what's even worse is I know for a fact there are Christians that have those jobs. There are. I know know Christian car salesmen. I know Christian lawyers. I know Christian politicians. I know Christian car car mechanics. I know Christians that have been in the news media and journalists and wrote for newspapers. And they work in a profession where liars tagged to their job. And the sad thing is, is that honesty 
gets thrown to the wayside because people want to make money or they want to make themselves look better. And so um, another question I have to throw out to you is how does the world, and when I say world, I mean people who say they're not Christians and they don't go to church and they couldn't give two cents about what goes on in church, how does the world view telling the truth? Like, is it important that we always tell the truth, or is it okay every once in a while to tell a lie? How do you think the world weighs in on that? What do you think? They think it's not a lie until they get caught. That's what my students think anyway. So you're okay until you get caught, and then at that point it was a lie. That's interesting. I, I, I was amazed. I did some research on lying, and the top, the top five parenting psychologists say that you should teach your kid when it is appropriate and not appropriate to lie. That's what they say. They, should, they said you should tell your kids the times when this is a good time to lie, and this right here, this is not a good time to lie. And here were their reasonings. I wrote them down. Reason number one, if your life depended on it. This is what they said. They said, you should tell your kid, if your life depends on it, go ahead and lie. Because it's, if it's between you dying and you living, you should lie. And this is my answer to that. Well, then what do we say about a group of students in 2015 who are in a classroom at Oregon State College and the shooter comes in and says, if you're a Christian, stand up, and these people stood up and then he proceeded to shoot them one at a time. Well, then what do we say in answer to a psychologist that says, if your life depends on it, lie. Well, then how do we have people who stand up and tell the truth knowing it'll get them killed? My point is, there must be something more to telling the truth than just saving your own skin. Here was another one they came up with. It's okay if you lie when you want to give somebody hope. It's okay if you don't quite tell the whole truth. And they actually cited as an example, crazy enough, they, they, they talked about Pinocchio. And uh, they talked about... There was a moment in Pinocchio where him and Geppetto had just got coughed out of that big, huge fish, and they were floating around, and they were trying to get to shore, and Geppetto couldn't see, and Geppetto was sick, and so, I mean, he was thinking, we're doomed, and then, of course, Pinocchio's like, oh, Geppetto, it'll be okay. I can see the shore. We're almost there, and they were nowhere near shore, and so they're like, see, he lifted Geppetto's spirits. It was okay that... Pinocchio told that lie. And the whole story of Pinocchio is about telling the truth. And that, and that was their point. Well, if that's the case, then why is it when you show up to a doctor and you have pancreatic cancer and he knows good and well that you are very sick, that he doesn't just sugarcoat it and say, you know what, you're probably going to be okay. Don't worry about medicine. Don't worry about this you're probably going to be fine. 
No. There must be something more to telling the truth than giving somebody a false sense of hope. Here was another one they cited. You should teach your kids to lie so that they can creatively think. <laughs> I know, you're sitting here thinking, this is the dumbest stuff I've heard, but there are people out there that are drinking this in, like, that's the truth, that's the truth, and that's not the truth. Here's what they said, kids should be allowed to tell tall tales. Like, they should be able to string you a line of bull when you catch them red-handed doing something. And so, I, I've, I've done it. I mean, I've been there. Like, when a teacher came and asked me, how did Richie get pushed off the tower? And I strung a tall tale of how me and the other boys were trying to get away from a bee, and one person bumped into the other, and the next thing we know, Richie got bumped off the tower, and that's how he fell and broke his arm. I didn't tell her the truth that none of us liked Richie, and we told him to get off the tower, and when he got up there, we pushed him off. I mean, I didn't tell her the truth. I spun some long tail, stimulated my creativity. Well, if that's the case, then why do people get upset when they spend thousands of dollars and find out that the painting they have is a forgery? Uh, that person was just stimulating their creativity and lying about the painting. Or why is it such a big deal that you plagiarize an English paper? I don't think your English teacher is going to be like, you know what? It's okay that you lied and that's not actually your work. There must be something more to telling the truth than exaggerating your accomplishments or how the story went. The world gets it. They just don't want to admit they get it. Here, I'll take you back in time. See if you recognize this story. A shepherd boy tended his master's sheep near a dark forest not far from the village. Soon he found life in the pasture was very dull. All he could do to amuse himself was talk to his dog or play on his shepherd's pipe. One day as he sat watching the sheep and the quiet forest, thinking to himself, what would he do if he saw a wolf? He thought of a plan to amuse himself. His master had told him he could call for help should a wolf attack the flock and the villagers would drive it away. So now, though he had not seen anything that looked like a wolf, he ran towards the village shouting at the top of his voice, Wolf! Wolf! As he expected, the villagers who heard the cry dropped their work, ran with great excitement to the pasture. When they got there, the boy was laughing. He had tricked them. A few days later, the shepherd boy again shouted, Wolf! Wolf! And the villagers came, only to be laughed at again. Then one evening as the sun was setting behind the forest and the shadows were creeping over the pasture, a wolf really did spring from the underbrush and fell on the sheep. In terror, the boy ran toward the village shouting, Wolf! Wolf! But though the villagers heard the cry, they did not run. They did not help. They said, He cannot fool us again. And the wolf killed many of the boy's sheep and then slipped away into the forest. And then Aesop finishes with this line. Liars are not to be believed even when they speak the truth. I think the world gets truth. 
I think they manipulate it for their own benefit. Well, let's read James 5.12. And before we do, let's ask God to bless our time together. Lord, this morning, God, I ask that you uh, use your great powerful word to uh, reveal how much you love us and how much you care about us. God, also use it as a mirror to reflect how much of a sinner we are, to reflect parts of us that we need to pay attention to and ask for forgiveness for. God, use it to reveal things in our lives that we need to change. God, use it to encourage and equip us so that we can tell others about your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these in his name. Amen. Well, let's read one verse, James 5, 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. Well, I, I want to I go ahead and tell you what this verse does not refer to because I have people that come to me and they pick this verse up and they say, this is what he's talking about, and they're wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what this verse isn't referring to. The first thing it's not dealing with is cussing, right? Talking like a rated R movie. That's not what, G, that's not what James, Jesus' half-brother, is talking about. Just because he's not talking about it doesn't give you a green light to talk like a rated R movie or PG-13 movie anymore. I mean, we can all agree that cussing is not a trait becoming of a Christian. And the Bible deals with it. I will read you some scripture, Ephesians 4.29. If this doesn't clear it up for you, no rotten talk should come from your mouth. Could I just stop there? but only what is good for building up of someone in need. In order to give grace to those who hear, and Ephesians 5, 3 through 4 says this, sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard among you because it is not proper for the saints. And coarse and foolish talking or crude joking is not suitable. You guys don't have a green light to let your mouth run wild. James has talked about this. Having a mouth that cusses doesn't fit you. It's like putting on a pair of shoes that are two sizes too small. It's hard to walk. It's uncomfortable. And if you keep up, it's going to be painful. James is also not talking about the fact that you should never take oaths. Some oaths, right, some promises are meant to be taken. It doesn't, there's, there are religious people in this world that never take an oath of any kind. You're probably like, well, I don't even know who these people are. They exist. They exist. If they end up in a court, they will not take an oath if they're asked to testify in court. They will not take any oath or promise of any kind. Well, I'm telling you, James isn't saying those oaths are no good. As a matter of fact, oaths and promises show up in the Bible all the time. Good ones. In Genesis 21, Abraham and a king Abimelech are fighting over a well. And Abraham's like, Abimelech, 
I dug that well. And Abimelech's like, I don't believe you. And Abraham's like, I promise you, I dug that well. And I'll, I'll prove it to you by giving you some animals to set that contract, that promise, and make sure it's good. And in Genesis 24, Abraham makes his servant promise him when he goes and he finds a wife for Isaac. He makes his servant promise him. You know how he makes him promise him? It's weird. He, like makes, he makes him reach under his thigh. And that's kind of like a... I don't know what kind of handshake that is. I'm not going to demonstrate it with any other man in here because just the thought of it makes me uncomfortable. But that's what Abraham does. He says, put your hand under my thigh and promise me you're going to find my son the right kind of wife. In Exodus, in Exodus 22, there's some laws laid out that if you're watching somebody's livestock and they get stolen or killed, you have to make a promise that you did not do it. And in number six, there's a Nazarite vow where you're set apart for Christ's service, for God's service. In Joshua 2, you remember Rahab? Rahab hid the spies, and then she looks at him and she says this, Promise me you will save me and my family when you come back. Take an oath. And so they said, okay, put this outside your window. We, we promise you. Well, there are people in the Bible that take oaths. There's also God that takes oaths, like he promises us. In Genesis 15, he signed a promise to Abraham in blood. Abraham says this to God in Genesis 15. Lord God, how can I know that I'll possess the land that you promised me? And he said to me, bring me a three-year-old calf, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And I'll show you that my promise is good. And then in Exodus 6, God echoes this very promise in Genesis 15 to Moses. He looks at Moses and he says this. I need you to go set my people free. And then in verse 8, he says, I'll bring you to the land that I swore to give Abraham. Way back in Genesis 15. And then in Deuteronomy 28, God again echoes the Genesis 15 promise as Joshua gets ready to enter into the land. And he says this, The Lord will make you prosper abundantly with children, the offspring of your livestock, and your soil's produce in the land the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. God makes promises. Even Jesus responded when somebody said, you're under oath. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 26, the high priest looks up and says, don't you have to answer what these men are testifying against you? I mean, he's in a rigged trial. Jesus is. So if he wanted to, he could have just stood there and did nothing. Verse 63 of Matthew 26, but Jesus kept silent. Then the high priest said to him, by the living God, I place you under oath. Tell us if you're the Messiah. And then Jesus said, you've said it. You see, even Jesus responded that some oaths are good. Some oaths are good. I mean, I took an oath 
when I became a pastor. I took an oath when I got married. Some oaths are good, meaningful. Some are stupid. There's some of those in the Bible too, stupid promises. The one I thought of when I was writing this sermon is, I studied Judges, which Judges is coming soon to a church near you. We're going to study Judges together, the whole book. And in Judges, there's this guy named Jephthah. You sound like you have a lisp when you say his name every time, but that's really how it's pronounced, Jephthah. And Jephthah's out having a big battle. And while he's in the midst of this battle, he gets pretty nervous, and he says, God, give me this battle, and I promise you, when I get home, whatever walks out of my house, I will offer to you. And so he wins the battle. And then he gets home, and he's walking up, and his dog doesn't run out of the house to greet him. The livestock doesn't run. The goats don't. His daughter comes out. And Jephthah has to make good on his promise. There's other dumb promises. Herod, while his daughter had danced for him, looks at her and says, what do you want? Anything you want, I promise you, I'll get it for you. And what she asked for? I want the head of John the Baptist. And Herod said, okay. There's other oaths that were stupid. You remember Peter's, right? Yeah, it's a scary time in Peter's life. He just saw the guy that he'd walked around with for three years doing amazing things, and now, crazy enough, people have arrested him. They've beat him, and now he's, getting, he's, he's under trial. And so Peter's scared, and so they come up to Peter, and they're like, hey, don't you know that guy? And he says, no. And by the third time, it says he was taking an oath saying, I don't know that man. Some oaths are stupid. Well, if James isn't talking about cussing and James isn't talking about taking a good oath or a stupid oath, then what's he talking about? Well, now we get to it. He's talking about making a promise. You, you make a promise to somebody, you take an oath, and then you don't keep it. You have no intentions of keeping it at all. James wants us to say to ourselves that our words need to be truthful and when we say yes, it means yes and when we say no, it means no. Question for you. You can, you can talk back to me here. What things do people say today that make you, that they want you to believe that they are telling the truth? Like, like if somebody says, hey, I, believe me, I'm telling the truth. Like what things do people say? Seriously. Okay, so they're like, I'm, seriously, I'm being serious. What else? Trust me. Trust me. Uh, yeah, honestly. Like this is the one time I've lied to you in all other times of my life. But this time, I'm telling you the truth. That's, what it, that's how I feel like it is. Like when somebody tells me something, okay, so it was seventh hour last week, and I'm, giving ready, I'm getting ready to give the kids a test, right? Physics kids. And they're all bragging about how they've studied for this test. 
And so I said, I'll tell you what. If everybody gets an A on this test, we'll have a free day in here. I never have free days. You can ask my students. It just never happens. So I said, we'll have a free day in here. I go, I'll pull up some meaningless film. We'll sit and watch it, and we will, we will do nothing. It will be your day to do whatever. And one of the kids looked at me, and he was like, you serious? Like, are you telling the truth? Like, in what planet has he thought I've lied to him all of this time? So he must have thought I was just messing with him, right? Like, you're not being serious. Like, you're intentionally lying to us, and we are supposed to pick up on that. Here's some things I wrote down that I, that I used to, you ever said, cross my heart and hope to die? How's the rest of it go? <laughs> you must be serious. You stick a needle in your eye if you're lying? Here's this one. You ever said this one? I swear on a stack of, I swear on a stack of Bibles I'm telling the truth. I've, I've said that one. You ever, you ever peaky promised? I used to work with an Italian dude. And you know what he said? <laughs> I swear on my mother's life. He always said that. I was like, is your mother alive? He, he was like, you shouldn't even say that. Now, I don't know why my voice is changing when I do his voice, because I can't do an Italian accent, but he always said that. I swear on my mother's life. And You know what they did in the Bible when they took an oath? They didn't do any of that jazz. They, they swore on God. They said, as God is my witness, or they said, God can strike me dead where I stand if I'm not telling you the truth. That's what they did in the Bible. They didn't have all these other little kitty games. You ever do this? You ever, you ever do that? Oh, yeah, I'll come over, I'll come over and mow your lawn. <laughs> you ever do that? You ever wonder where this came from, crossing your fingers? Basically permission to lie? That's what it is, right? I crossed my fingers, so I'm off the hook. I'll tell you where it came from. They did this in the Bible. They did. They would cross their fingers. Here's what, here's what this is ridiculous. You're going to laugh. This is what they were thinking, is, is if they had their fingers crossed, and they told you they were going to do something, by crossing their fingers, they were the cross that Jesus died on. And they were letting him know, they were letting God know that they were lying. Okay, so I'm lying to this guy, but God, you see what I got here? I'm telling you I know I'm lying. So I have my fingers crossed. There is no situation where you guys cross your fingers behind your back. And there is no situation where you guys have to swear on a stack of Bibles, pinky promise, swear on your mother's life, or anything else where people should be able to look at your words and take them at face value. Your yes should be yes, and your no should be no. James isn't pulling an idea from thin air. He's pulling it from his half-brother. Matthew 5, listen to this. This is Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. 
Again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by the earth because it's his footstool. In other words, Jesus is saying everything is God's. You can't swear on this and be off the hook. You can't cross your fingers and think that that's going to get you out of hot water with God. Neither should you swear by your head because you can't make a single hair white or black. But let your word yes mean yes and your no mean no. That's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So his half-brother echoes it and says that we should be known as truthful people. Ephesians 4, 25. Since you have put away lying, speak truth to each other. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to one another. You've put off that old man and his practices. So why is it such a big deal? Why is it in here? I got a couple things for us to think about. Why is it a big deal when we say yes that people's like, he means it or she means it, and when we say no, they mean it? I'm going to tell you the number one thing that popped into my head, and it's because that's how Jesus was. Jesus never lied. And man, did he have opportunities to boost himself up. And man, did he have opportunities to save his own skin. And man, couldn't he have given his followers a false sense of hope just by, just by telling a little white lie? Not one time. 1 Peter 2.21 For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Satan's title is the father of lies. That's his title. And you know what he wants you to think? That there is some opportunities in your life where you can lie. That you don't have to take telling the truth seriously. God doesn't want that. Imitate Jesus. Well, if that's not enough, well, let, let this be heard. God takes lying serious. How serious? He's going to judge you based on it. Story in Acts 4 and 5. You remember this story? All right, church is first starting out. There's a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas has a chunk of land. The church is struggling for money, so Barnabas goes out and he sells the land and he brings the money to the church. Well, somebody else in the church sees that and says, man, look how cool Barnabas is now. Like, everybody likes him. Like, hey, Barnabas, the guy that gave the land, you're awesome. High five, shake your hand. You're the first person I want to hug every Sunday morning. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not. 
you could do as you wished. But after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, and here it is. You were lying to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, you know what happened, right? Fell to the floor dead. And that's not the end of the story. <laughs> His wife walks in, because it always takes women a little longer to get ready. Right, men? We appreciate that, ladies. I just want you to know that you don't walk out of the house looking like we do. Well, his wife shows up, and they ask her the same questions, and they give her the same conviction, and she gets the same thing. She dies. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I live in God's grace and mercy when it comes to telling the truth. Because I'll bet there's a time or two where I probably should have been dropping dead because of the words that came out of my mouth, but God gave me grace and mercy to learn a lesson on telling the truth. Another reason is not only will God judge you, people will. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, in other words, they're going to say you're a liar, they will be put to shame. People are judging you. They are. They're judging whether your yes means yes and your no means no. They're judging your words. They're judging your actions. They want to know if you're a trustworthy person. They want to know if you're trustworthy. Or if you're like those people in the occupations we mentioned, selling a car, politician, news media. It's more important than what is really at face value on telling the truth. It really is. So I called up a gentleman the other day and asked him how much it was to rent his lot for me to sell fireworks on. And he asked me, how much did it cost last year? Well, do I tell him it was the same? Or do I say it was a little less? See, it's more important that that guy sees me as a trustworthy person, not so much that it's fair business, but that someday... God may roll that gentleman in front of me, and I have an opportunity to tell him about something eternally true, and not just how much money I owe him. Here's something else I want you guys to think about. People are judging you. Your kids are judging you. And until you're dead, they're watching you. They are. Until I am in the ground, my kids are going to watch me. And they're going to watch what comes out of my mouth. And they are going to be wondering, if I say yes, it means yes. And if I say no, it means no. I still listen to my, my dad today. I still do. 
I really think the two most powerful words that we as parents tell our kids is yes and no. I really do. And here's what happens is it gets more important than whether or not they get a cookie today or not. It gets more important than that. It gets more important than whether or not they can or can't go out with those friends or be home at this time of night. Because someday you're going to have a conversation with your kid that is going to change eternity for them about a man named Jesus Christ. And you want them to look at you and say, I believe what my parents are telling me. That it's Proverbs 1.8. Hear my son your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Verse 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It is a big deal to God that you're truthful to your kids. The problem is, we say yes and we say no, and initially, when they're young, they just need to take our, our judgment. But the older they get, we should tell them why. That we're not doing this because it's a self-serving yes and no. And if it is, you need to reevaluate why you're saying yes and no. That the reason why we say yes and no to our kids is because we have their best interests in mind. Now, do they always take our advice? No. They don't, do they? My son Trevor is a full-time student at the School of Hard Knocks. I don't know when he's going to graduate, but I think it's close. There's been a few times he's come back and he said those words, Mom, you were right. Or Dad, you did the right thing. But at the time, he didn't believe me. God has a plan for you to be trustworthy with your kids and represent his love to them. And if that's not enough for you, well then how about everybody else in this entire world that's going to look at you? And I'm telling you, outreach in the, in the realm of churches, outreach isn't a program. Outreach isn't some cool event that you put on. Outreach isn't getting inflatables and putting them out here on the lawn. Outreach is when a trusted friend says, can I, can I have lunch with you today and just hang out with them? Outreach is when a trusted friend says, hey, I, I know it's a long ways away, but you want to come to church with me today. That's outreach. That's what it is. It's not having a big shindig for Easter and Christmas. It's you being a trustworthy person with integrity. So when you say something, somebody says, 
I believe them. Matthew 5, 6. Still part of Sermon on the Mount. How important is your integrity? This is what Jesus wants to do with it. You are a light to the world. A city situated on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, so it gives light for everybody. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. God's plan is to put you guys up front and center so that in a world where it is dark and some of the easiest things are hard to do, they know where the truth is. It's you guys. It's me. I always crack up. I don't know how many times my wife has walked down the stairs into our basement. I don't know. We've lived there. She does it at least once a day for 15 years. She's got to know those stairs, right? Like she has to know those stairs. But you know what she does every time? She turns the light on. That cracks me up. There's no more stairs there than what was there yesterday. It's the same right turn. You go eight stairs down, and then you turn right, and then there's another eight stairs. And I thought about this. You know why? Because sometimes very simple things, they take on a whole new meaning when you don't have light. And there's people out there swallowing junk about what's really truth because they're just in the dark. And God looks at you guys and me, Tiffin Baptist, and says, I'm putting you on a hill so that people don't look at you and say, liars can't be trusted even when they tell the truth. All right, I'll close here. A few questions for you to think about as Sandra comes and plays a song for us. And we are given an opportunity to get right with God in this matter. Is it time you put your mouth on trial and confess it? Quit hiding it. I mean, you're a sinner. You struggle with lying. Do your kids not trust you? Do you lie because you're greedy? Do you lie because you want people to think you're a great person? Do you lie because fill in the blank? Do you need to be a parent with integrity? Is that what you need to pray about today? That you are very intentional about yes meaning yes and no meaning no. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, you guys. You're imitating him. Is lying an issue for you because Jesus Christ is not on the throne in your heart? This is my invitation to anybody in here who is not saved, don't sit there and fight lying. Put Jesus Christ on the throne in your heart. Accept him today. That's what's missing. Let's pray. God, this morning, forgive us for the times that we dodge the truth 
forgive us of the times that we exaggerate the truth. God, forgive us of the times that we just out and out don't speak the truth. God, give us the peace and the satisfaction and the courage to know that it is always right to speak the truth. That despite what our feelings might have, what our rational, crazy mind might think, that God, there is another way out of whatever situation we find ourselves in than lying. That God, your plan is that we are people of integrity so that when we speak your name, it means something. God, this morning I ask that you are graceful and merciful to us as we seek your favor in this matter. We pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.